Welcome to the Word Search Podcast with Bible teacher and author Rob Price. Each topic and series on Word Search is designed to encourage your personal journey into the treasures and truths inside the scriptures. Word Search is produced by RP Media, a leader in faith based podcasts. So let's begin with lesson two now in Maturing into Childhood, titled I'm All Grown Up Now The Adult Attitudes That Annoy Jesus. Question for you What is greatness? Well, the world defines greatness or being great in many ways, mostly through some type of achievement or talent or financial success or perhaps military power. In sports, we would call someone the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Think of Buccaneers quarterback and former Patriots quarterback Tom Brady, uh, running back Emmett Smith, golfer Jack Nicklaus or Tiger Woods, there's that debate, uh, Michael Jordan or LeBron James in basketball. Uh, what about in business? Uh, investor Warren Buffett. Computer engineers, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Facebook founder, Mark Zuckerberg. What about the greatest inventors? You got Thomas Edison, Nikola Tesla. Think of the greatest musicians of all time. There's Mozart, Beethoven, Bach, and of course, Taylor Swift. The dictionary definition of greatness is this. It's the quality of being distinguished, eminent, to be in high repute or high standing. The Greek word for greatness is M-E-I-Z-O-N, meson or mesion. I'm not very good at pronouncing Greek, forgive me. It's from the root word mega. We know what that word is, which means large in the widest sense. The external appearance of things. It could be numerical, age, rank, authority, power. To be highly esteemed from importance. So our foundation verse for this series, again, is Matthew 18, 1 through 5, and specifically verse 3. And it provides an opportunity for Jesus to redefine greatness here from his perspective. In fact, verse 18.3 tells us this, And I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So there it is. Jesus completely again redefines greatness. The disciples were asking, you see, a spiritual question from a worldly perspective. The who in this question was not a specific person, but rather a request for the type of person who could qualify as the greatest. And here comes Jesus' announcement when he says the characteristics of children, these are part of this redefinition. You have to change adults and become like little children. You should be asking about the entry pass, he says, and not the qualities of the participants. Note here, he refers to the necessity of being childlike when he says like or to such as these. In other words, Jesus did not say the kingdom of heaven belongs only to children, but to people who have a childlike spirit, become like as or such as these. That's the key distinctive here. You must take on the quality of, here it is again, humility, like a child naturally does. Now imagine you're one of the disciples hearing this. This is bombshell news, right? The Twitter sphere is going to blow up. He's done it again with another bizarre post. While speaking to grown adults, Jesus says they must experience a strange kind of repentance, a conversion, a change of course or a U-turn in order to gain kingdom entrance. Your mindset, your heart set must be that of a child. The key question we must answer in this study then is, what positive qualities does a child have that is often lost in life? by the time he or she becomes an adult. If you might remember, I flipped the question around and said, okay, well, what, what negative qualities does a child pick up 
from life by the time he or she becomes an adult. It's clear to me that what Jesus is saying is this. Whatever these negative things are that we see in adulthood can become a spiritual wall that separates us from our Heavenly Father and even access into His kingdom. Whether positive or negative influences happen to us in childhood, it's clear from Jesus that the adult mindset has a way of making life more complicated and even spiritually perilous. So what have been some of the things you've tried to shield your kids from, talking to parents now, for as long as possible? What are some of the things you wish your parents would have shielded you from when you were growing up? Jesus spends the majority of his three-year ministry educating anyone who has ears to hear and eyes to see the absurdity of acting too grown up. How? Well, again, it's the constant calibration of calling God his Abba, his Abba, Daddy. It's the constant behavior of acting like a mature child. Jesus is the ultimate mature child. I want you to feel the scandal of what I just said. Jesus never grew out, I say, of a childlike spirit. He never grew into adult thinking. And if I am to understand the central message of the gospel, that God is our Abba, then we must embrace kingdom child prototypes. The kingdom of heaven is eternally childlike. It is the, can I say this? It's the spirit of the environment. Let me teach you what I mean by these statements about Jesus and the kingdom. It could all be observed by comparing the adult mindset versus the child mindset. Let's begin with the adult mentality. For the adult mentality is painfully obvious. Number one, there's the untouchable expert, right? We know these people, the, the veteran of all knowledge, the one who already knows it all. It's the, uh, it's the unteachable person, the mind that's made up his mind. My mother-in-law uh, from West Virginia, she had this homespun wisdom. She would say to someone who just obviously was just mess up, would say, you know that person, they have all the right answers, but none of them work. If you're that person, you tell me your cup is already full. Then I can't pour into you any more water, can I? I have nothing to give you. You're, you're not teachable. Number two, there's the prideful pretender of the adult mindset. It's the one that says, I don't need advice. I don't need directions. I'm, I'm that rugged individual. I'll just figure it out myself. Kind of a cousin to the first one. In other words, uh, the phrase you hear kids a lot say, uh, I'm grown, right? Don't lecture me. Talk down to me. I don't need your help or your handout. How many adults are ashamed of just not knowing something that they probably think they should know? So the adult mind, watch this, they pretend to know or they pretend to already know when something new or interesting comes up in a conversation instead of, wow, I didn't know that. It's more like a, a smug nod. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Sure, sure. That's nothing new. It's just nothing but pride. Then there's the need for negativity. It's the cynic. It's the skeptic in us, the sarcastic one, the pessimist. Everything is as it always was. You know, Nothing much is going to change. I've learned all there is to know from those who came before me. It's negativity, even positivity. The cup is always half empty instead of half full. Now, I'm not saying to never question these things. I mean, there, of course, is a time to engage in these higher order thinking skills. But I'm referring to that part of these traits, which are at the root of nothing but pride again, and serve only to tear down and break down and destroy people's lives. So is that you? Are you the cynic, the skeptic, the sarcastic one of the group, the pessimist? Perhaps you need to rethink your adult mindset because children are rarely that way. So let's talk about children. The child mentality is delightfully authentic, I think. The unashamed learner, the beginner, the seeker, the inquisitive one. The constant barrage of questions like a fully automatic machine gun 
But with these, inquiries is humility, not entrapment. It's the child journalist in all of us. Who, what, when, where, why, how? It's the one that says, I don't know. I'm not ashamed to say I don't know. I'm open to learn. Please teach me. Teach me something new today. My, my whole world could change by sundown. The new believer in Christ often shows these beautiful childlike characteristics. It's so refreshing, actually. And they also come with wide-eyed wonder. The one who loves to be amazed. The one who loves and lives for fun. The adventure taker. I used to take my kids when they were small on uh, 10-minute adventures down into some low-lying creek bed or tall wooded hillside in the West Virginia mountains. They'd always jump at the chance to see and learn something new about nature, some new revelation about the world unfolding before them. The child mind lives in disciple mode, friends, all the time, is always ready, ready, ready to receive, to expect from their heavenly father. And believe it or not, guess what? They're always getting it. The father loves the childlike spirit. And finally, among the child, there's what I call the lie detector. For you see, for children, for the most part, reality is pretty simple to see. Truth is discernible. Judgments are honest and speedy. I think about the Hans Christian Andersen story, The Emperor's New Clothes. This story, this fable provides a perfect metaphor. You remember the story? It's about the swindler passing through a kingdom looking for a quick buck from the rich emperor, devised a perfect scheme. He put himself out as a professional fashion designer or a tailor, as, as the story says, who holds up nothing in his hand but mimed as if he was sporting clothes fit for an emperor and said only emperors, here it is, can see them. Of course, the emperor puts on nothing and prances around town and tells the townspeople that he has purchased special clothes for a king and requires their trust. Well, the adult-minded emperor passes on this adult thinking to the townspeople who are all afraid to disagree with him as he parades through town with nothing on. So they play along until a small child peeks his head around his daddy's legs and yells, hey, what's going on here? That emperor there, he's got no clothes on. Of course, they want to hush the child and tell him to mind your own business. Don't say anything. But it's the intelligent, observant child who sees the obvious. Next, I want to talk about the phony Pharisees, these adult-minded thinkers. Jesus spent a good portion of his public life calling the Pharisees out as, like I said, phonies, as emperors with no clothes on. He was saying basically, listen, gang, your way of connecting with God doesn't work. You're missing out on real life. Now, you'll notice Jesus never spoke with malice toward these religious men. He knew they were stuck in an adult mindset that's very difficult to crack. He was actually quite factual in his assessment of their spiritual condition. Matthew 23, beginning in verse 25, tells us this. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You, you're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything that's unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. For woe to you, or woe is O-U-A-I. It's all four vowels, actually. But it was a deep expression of grief. And so Jesus is actually, in a sense, you could say grieving over them. Like, would you please open your eyes and see this? Come on, guys, you can get this. Now, I want to submit to you for your consideration that Judas became eventually a Pharisee or a, a faux Pharisee 
who was posing as a disciple. When he was first called, he was probably likely, apparently, a very hungry learner at one point, to the point where Jesus invited him into the fold. And like the other 11, Judas initially dropped everything to follow the attractive childlikeness of Jesus. But sadly, it was his underhanded dealings with these adult-minded Pharisees, mixed in with the love of mammon that got Judas into trouble. Can I say this? It poisoned him. It turned him away from the spirit of the kingdom, and he became an adult, an adult who began to know better how Jesus ought to run his ministry. I mean, why that alabaster jar, of course, could have been sold for thousands of shekels and be given to the poor. What a waste. His adultness, his adult mindset was his own undoing. Friends, may this never happen to us. May we never grow up and write out of the kingdom of heaven. We must maintain and long for a childlike spirit. Jesus was hopeful that these Pharisees would make the required U-turn. And several did, including, well, Nicodemus in John 3 and also in John 19. We see post-resurrection, Saul who became Paul, perhaps even Joseph of Arimathea who took Jesus' body off the cross and buried him in the tomb. Either way, Jesus exposes the Pharisees' paradox of being too smart for their own good. Matthew eleven twenty five says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you hid these things from the wise and revealed them to children. John 9, verse 41, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Do you know it all, you adult-minded Pharisee? Translation here is, you're actually blind because you say you can see. You're full of yourselves and you got these man-made rules and you've got it all figured out. You have an adult mind. And this has dangerous consequences. It hardens the sinful nature in us and creates, I think, deep, deep strongholds of self-deceit. Could there be a tipping point in a person's life? I'm just curious about this. He who has will be given more. He who doesn't have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. There's also 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 21. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred commandment that was passed on to them. Wow. The next verse we've all heard before, of them the Proverbs are true, a dog returns to its vomit, and a sow or a pig that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. So let's look now at how the childlike spirit in Jesus can show us the way of wisdom. Let me take you over to Isaiah 50 in verse 4. We see here that the father showed the hungry-to-learn son how to discern kingdom life. And again, the prophet Isaiah saw this years before Jesus is born. And it's a prophecy about Jesus. And in verse 4 of Isaiah 50, the Bible says this, The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. And we know from the next few verses, this is a prophecy about Jesus. It's as if Jesus sees himself in scripture. It's quite amazing, actually. There's several chapters in the Old Testament where Jesus looks at this. He goes, oh, that's me. <laughs> there's the same chapter where there's a prophecy about him being crucified. A few verses later, he says, I've offered my back to those who beat me and my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I've not hid my face from mocking and spitting. So we know, we know that this is 
Isaiah writing down words that Jesus will see later and say, that's me, almost confirming his own messiahship. But notice the beginning. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. So how did that play out? Well, let's ask these questions. What truth did Jesus likely pick up from observing his father Joseph in the carpenter shop? Well, Matthew 7, verse 1 through 5. Take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone else's eye. This is why it's important not to judge other people. Also, what about Mary? What parable did Jesus likely pick up from her, his own mother in the kitchen? I submit to you Matthew 13, the parable of the yeast that can work through the whole dough and spoil things. The small things can spoil the whole batch. And what parables did Jesus likely pick up from observing his neighbor's gardens? I mean, we can go down the line, the parable of the sower, the parable of the weeds, the parable of the mustard seed, all in Matthew 13. What parable did Jesus likely pick up from observing his fishing friends in Galilee? Well, Matthew 13 also tells us about the parable of the net. Jesus received such revelation from the Father, and he did it in real time as a real human being, okay? This is how it has to happen for us. Jesus wasn't zapped with truth and axioms in some nighttime trances or visions. He got it morning by morning, day after day, as a disciple being taught. It's the same way how we learn. The parables and sayings that guide our faith came to Jesus as he observed life's insights with a childlike spirit. Every day for him was as if he was saying, Father, what is there to learn about you today? And the kingdom right now in front of me, Te- teach me. I want insight. And I'll close with a shocking statement, and I say this very carefully, is that Jesus was a 30-something eccentric child. That's right. I said that. He was an eccentric child who refused to grow up. In fact, he playfully offended those who thought they were adults, spiritual adults. Jesus was a polarizing figure. Think about that. Those who were attracted to his simplicity would catch on to his childlike faith. And those who were offended at his eccentricity and his unconventional teachings were quick to dismiss him and wanted him silenced. Eventually, they were part of what killed him on the cross. So there you have it, lesson two. I'm all grown up now. The adult attitudes that annoyed Jesus, and I say annoyed obviously playfully, He was trying to get his contemporaries to see it, but it it did bug him a lot. And he left us with a great example that we've got to be a child to even enter the kingdom of heaven. And he himself exhibited all the childlike characteristics that he wants us to be like. So God bless you. We'll see you next time right here on Word Search.